TFM. Welcome, boomers, to another episode of Warp Five, our dedicated Star Trek Enterprise podcast. I'm Christopher Jones, and with me, as he always is, is my esteemed co-host Matthew Rushing. And Matthew, I just want you to hold on tight to your microphone because I'm not so sure that this idea of yours to record this episode while we're floating upside down in the sweet spot is the best idea. Well, Chris, you know, I was just up here reading uh, my massive uh, work about the criminal Chicago mobs from the 20s, and I thought, (laughs) you know, I don't really want to move from this spot, so maybe Chris wouldn't mind sitting upside down uh, and recording this podcast, and thankfully, you know, uh, everything just, it feels fine, so I feel lighter. Yeah, I do too. Yeah, I do too. Uh, not that that's light reading you have there, but I guess you just carry a copy of that book around with you everywhere, right? Well, I mean, who doesn't? Uh, it's it's such a fantastic read. It really is a, a, a barn-burning page-turner, and so everybody should get a copy of this. Uh, it's it's going to be, I think it's going to be really popular with the Iotians, so. Yeah, well, I was going to say, make sure if you ever visit Sigma Iosha 2, that you don't leave that book behind. Oh, I don't plan on it. I mean, I wouldn't <laughs> want to leave this book anywhere, but, you know, my own hands to be reading. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, in case you don't know what we're talking about, of course, I think if you're listening to this, you know about a piece of the action. But if you look closely in Travis's quarters in today's episode, you'll actually see a copy of the book, or at least a similarly titled book that's a callback to that episode of the original series here aboard the Horizon, which is the name of the ship that left the book behind in the original series. So a nice little Enterprise homage to its source material here. All right, everyone, we're going to continue our 20th anniversary rewatch of Enterprise today with episode 20 of season two, Horizon. And here is a really quick rundown. A change of course for the Enterprise takes the ship close to the ECS Horizon, the cargo vessel on which Travis Mayweather grew up. And that means family reunion time. But it's a sad homecoming for Travis when he learns that his father has passed away, and resentment bubbles to the surface between Travis and his brother Paul, now captain of the ship. When aliens attack, the brothers must put their differences aside to survive. Meanwhile, aboard the NX-01, T'Pol must put her fear of movie night aside as she learns to better fraternize with her crewmates. So, Matthew, we'll get to movie night in a little bit. Let's start with the core of the story, which is Travis revisiting family and uh, all the stuff that happens there. Yeah, I think one of the things that is very good about this episode is that we finally make good on the idea that they had that, you know, Travis is the most experienced uh, space Mm -hmm. person that they have. on on the enterprise uh human wise of course and you know i think that 
I, it's, it's one of those things where as, as you're talking about it, you're always thinking forward in the fact that we just really never give this character their due. And this is one of the few episodes where we really focus on not only on Travis, but what life is like for everybody who's not on a warp five starship, which is everybody else because mm-hmm. nobody else has one. This is the only one at this point. And so when you see the life of these cargo haulers, you are reminded of just what, you know, it, it, it's like in that time period where people were going from like horses to motor cars mm-hmm. and just how much faster you could get to town if you had a motor car as mm-hmm. opposed to having a horse. And there's only one group that has a motor car right now. It's Enterprise. You know, everybody else still is on a horse. And so um, I think this is just a really exciting episode in that sense of, of, of we get a chance to see that whole other side of life. And I think one of the things that the episode does really well, too, is just even – the design work of the horizon itself, you know, um, enterprise feels spacious compared mm-hmm. to that. It feels luxurious compared to that. Um, you know, this, uh, feels much more like, um, almost like a star Wars ship just because it's mm-hmm. so lived in things are dirty. There's nothing nice about this place. It's cramped. And there's just so much about this episode that, is there to love because they actually dive into the promise of of the Travis Mayweather character and exploring this part of the universe. Right. Yeah, it is nice to get a little bit of that original concept of the series, and it really shows you how they could have used Travis, but Mm -hmm. ultimately didn't. We've discussed this, uh, I'm sure, here on Warp 5 a number of times and on the Ready Room as well about how that idea of having someone who's an ensign, so in terms of rank among the crew, they're quite young, but in terms of experience in space, they're the most seasoned of the humans, as you pointed out, because, of course, Phlox and T'Pol have a lot of experience, but But the flaw in that concept for the story is that how long can you keep that going once everybody's out there and you've put them through quite a few Star Trek-style adventures and encounters with aliens and so forth? And I think that they unfortunately, they found that it was hard to make that a special thing about Travis for too long And then they unfortunately didn't really try to keep it going. So it's nice that here, as we're getting close to the end of season two, we've at least got this one more moment where we really get a Travis story. And the the heart of the story, it really puts a human face. And I'm sure that uh, the Klingons from the Undiscovered Country would not be happy about my use of the word human there, because I don't really mean it in terms of a homo sapiens only club, but just in terms of a person to person relationship thing. It puts that face on space travel and space exploration to show that 
that people actually live in space right. in this time right. period. And the Enterprise might be on this glamorous mission as the first Warp 5 vessel to visit, as Travis points out here, 22 inhabited worlds. Mm-hmm. But there are people who just legitimately live in space and they work in space and they're born and they die in space and they live mm-hmm. their whole lives on these cargo vessels. And it's not the most glamorous thing to put on a TV show, I suppose, but it's real. And mm-hmm. so this was a moment where I feel like Enterprise as a prequel, getting us to the world that we know later, really worked. And they really showed us what that was like for a moment. Right. Yeah, you know, I think um, that there is something, uh, you know, really interesting about the way in which we get a chance to see the life of the cargo crew, too. And, you know, the idea of the way that they live is actually going to be the way in which we see the 24th century go. Right. Mm -hmm. Of this idea of that, if you're going to be out there in space, you know, you don't leave your family at home, you bring them with you. And so uh, it's 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 very interesting that what we have here is a microcosm of of a way of life that's going to change once, you know, starships are are able to go warp five and beyond. Mm hmm. You're not going to need this type of life, right? Because you can safely leave your family at home, run cargo, and come back within a few days, like we see with like Cassidy Yates and and people like that. Other than you know it having to take literal months and mm-hmm. or maybe a year to get to a place, and mm-hmm. so I, I think the other thing that I'm really glad that that they did with and you mentioned it, and I thought it was so key to this is that we have this really one last opportunity before the galaxy begins to change in a that is going to kind of weed this lifestyle out because it's not actually going to be needed anymore and so it was wise of them i think here at the tail end of season two to do this episode because you know by the time you get to season three and beyond the galaxy is changing very quickly yeah, exactly. Talking about families on a starship, though, I really, I just loved this moment because it's commentary on the next generation where the Enterprise D is designed to carry all these mm-hmm. families. And of course, that raises a lot of other issues that Travis and, and Malcolm aren't thinking about as they discuss it right here in terms of Picard's responsibility for the safety of civilians. But First of all, I just like the comment, hey, Starfleet really should start thinking about putting families on starships. And then Reed's response, I really love. He says, well, they'd better post a psychologist on board because I'd need one if my parents were roaming the corridors. And not only is it funny, the idea of, I mean, if you could imagine if you were in your late 20s or your early 30s and you're parents were still on the ship, right. what that would be like for you. But also the fact that they actually do have a psychologist on board on the Enterprise D 
Bacall's families are going to need counseling. And it was just right. kind of a great little commentary on what's to come in Star Trek. Yeah. And I mean, it's not just families, but I mean, I think, you know, one of the things that uh, we've realized that, gosh, we're in season three of Star Trek Picard right now. And, you know, um, I don't think that the it's just families that need counseling. I think Shaw oh, sure. needs some serious counseling. Right. Yeah. Um, right. And so uh, and and I think the beauty of that is that Enterprise will actually deal with that idea when we get to season four and the aftermath of what happened in season three, that the the way in which the adventures that these characters go on are not always happy-go-lucky. They can have massive emotional impact on these people, and they are going to need a way to work through that. And so, yes, it is a wonderful kind of throwaway joke, but I think it also helps us see there's so much that Starfleet is going to have to learn over the next few hundred years that it takes a very long time for them to get to. And so, I, you know, and, and part of that, too, is that when you think about going on these big, long missions, right? Like somebody leaving their family for, say, 10 years or more is just not feasible. And mm-hmm. so, you know, like the O'Briens, they got married on they met on the Enterprise. They get married on the Enterprise. They're, you know, they have a daughter on the Enterprise. But. Keiko has just as much to do on the Enterprise as O'Brien does because her her job fits with the mission of exploration. And mm-hmm. so, you know, I, again, I, I just think it's 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 interesting that these cargo families are living that life, and we're going to get you know in the twenty fourth century, they're going to go back to that. But in a um, much better situation, uh, the Enterprise-D is definitely the Hilton of space for sure. Mm-hmm. And w- this is like the Motel 6. <laughs> so, <laughs> Yeah, I guess so. Being in Japan, I was thinking this is like a capsule hotel. And <laughs> compared with the Hilton, it's very small, especially when they, they drop the cargo so that they can fight off the aliens and you realize just how small the mm-hmm. actual yeah. ship itself is. Yeah. You know, what would be, I started to say what would be equivalent to the star drive section of the Enterprise D, uh, which I, yeah. I guess it is really. I mean, of course, the bridge is in a different location, but the cargo portion cannot go on its own. It's just left behind and the uh, rest of the ship has all the power. Another thing that I like about this story, as we talk about these families, though, and people being apart, is and how this aspect of the story can speak to us in our real lives, in our real world, is this idea that we allow what are really not long distances at all when compared with what these people have to deal with living and working in space, to prevent us from communicating with friends and family. And here, a core part of this story for Travis is the fact that his father has passed away and he wasn't able to see his father again. And they had had differences because his father didn't like him joining Starfleet. And it had 
taken years for them to try to mend things and communicate better. And Travis had sent a message which had not been received. And so his father died without them actually being able to mend things. And that has Mm -hmm. a, a serious impact on Travis. And this kind of thing happens to us in the real world as well, where uh, sometimes it's because there's a just a falling out in the family, and we might still actually physically live nearby, but we don't talk to each other. And sometimes, like in my case, there's a significant geographical distance, which prevents me from being able to be somewhere or act quickly in a moment of crisis, which happened for Travis here. And so it's, you know, it's another parallel and it just makes you think about the fact that if there is something in your life that maybe needs to be talked about or addressed or something needs to be mended, we only have so much time and the distances mm-hmm. that we deal with, of course, on our planet right. are not actually that significant in the grand scheme of things. Yeah, I mean, as you were saying that, I was just thinking about the uh, the wonderful philosopher John Mayer and how he says, say what you need to say. And um, I think that that's so important here with this episode as well, is that you, you this episode does a great job of reminding us how, um, you know, fragile life is and, and that it doesn't last forever. And so the, the most one of the most important things is that you don't take those relationships that you have for granted and to not let silly things get in the way of relationship. You know, I I think the beautiful part here is that Travis learns that even though he was not happy about his son joining Starfleet, he wholeheartedly approved of the fact that his son could do the job better than anybody Mm -hmm. else and Mm -hmm. told that to Archer in that letter, which I Mm -hmm. thought was fantastic. And Mm -hmm. so what you see there is, is, is true love, right? The love of a father. Would he rather his son have stayed and taken over for him because he felt like that Travis would have been the best one to be in charge? Yes. But is he going to stand in the way of the fact that he knows his son can do this job well and better than anyone else? No. Uh, And I think there's something just really nice about that. And, you know, then, of course, getting to have the the brothers kind of have to duke it out here and come to an understanding is fantastic. You know, you can understand why Paul has resentment towards Travis. Yeah. But I, I appreciate that the story allows Paul to overcome that for the betterment of his crew and the safety of his crew. And not only that, but I mean, what he does here is going to be better for cargo runners everywhere, just as Travis says. So, you know, it it shows the fact that Paul has enough humility to say, I can learn from my brother, I can take advice from my brother, and it doesn't make me less of a man. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, The part about what Travis's father told Archer, I really like this aspect of the story for Archer's character, because it's one of those moments where we really see Archer's leadership and we really see how Archer 
is a father of sorts to mm-hmm. his crew in a way that we discussed at some point in this rewatch whether Archer was the best choice or not the best choice to be the captain of the NX-01. And I don't mean Scott Bakula as an actor. I'm talking about from a Starfleet perspective, was Archer the right choice to be captain? And I think this is a moment where it really shows that he is. Like, he is the kind of leader that this crew in this situation needs. And that was a moment where Travis really needed to hear that and needed to talk to someone. And Archer really sat down with him as a human and listened to him and helped him. And it wasn't a chain of command thing. It wasn't a captain to ensign type situation that you might see later on the timeline where the military structure is a little bit more formalized. It was a really human moment, which I thought they both played really well, especially Mm -hmm. Scott Bakula played it really well. Yeah, I'm glad that you brought that up because I do think that it really does just put another nail in that coffin of saying like that he wasn't the right guy, right? Like this, this is truly a, a man who cares deeply for his crew and is not afraid to show it and is not afraid to let his guard down and take care of them and be vulnerable with them and and let them know that it is okay to be vulnerable in front of him. In many ways, I, I think what this shows is the idea that he is recognizing that the Enterprise itself is a family. Right. And, yeah. it, it, and, and that's a thing that, of course, is going to be something that continues throughout the rest of Star Trek, right? That every crew... If you've been together long enough, you feel like a family. And I think that that's something that is is so important because it becomes something that we all know in life, which is that, you know, you start off with a family and for many people, they continue to be very close to their families. But then there are others who we we kind of go out into the world and we end up finding family and we make a found family. And so, you know, there's even the proverb that that, that a f- there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And I mm-hmm. think that's the kind of thing that we're beginning to really see happen in these type of moments where Archer is taking it upon himself to help cultivate that family feel on this ship. And, mm-hmm. you know, I would say that What's interesting is to me, I think that actually even transfers over to the other story mm-hmm. with the movie night. Yeah. Um, it's done in a much more humorous way. Right. But I think he's doing quite the same thing with DePaul that he's doing with Travis. Oh, yeah. Just Archer in a different is. way. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. Well, before we get to the movie night discussion, I do want to talk about one more thing related to the family story between Paul and Travis as the Mayweather brothers. And that's that I also think that the conflict between them in this story is written in a realistic way that it makes sense. It doesn't feel like conflict for the sake of, 
oh, my brother's back. We have two brothers and let's create some drama for the story. I think that Paul has a legitimate point when he doesn't want Travis to make a bunch of upgrades to the ship, for example. Because, yes, what if Travis does all this stuff and then Travis goes back to the Enterprise and then the crew of the Horizon is out somewhere and these upgrades go offline and they don't know how to fix them and they get stuck. So I think that's where Paul, as the acting captain of the ship, is making a good decision mm-hmm. for the ship. And it's not simply resentment of... It's not driven by resentment that his brother left and he feels like his brother should have right. stayed behind and been part of the family. And therefore, he doesn't want to listen to Travis because, hey, Travis left, so mm-hmm. why should I listen to you? It's not driven by that. It's an actual legitimate... Uh, reason for not wanting him to make changes. And then from Travis's perspective, you've had all these adventures and you've come home and not only do you want to share what you've learned with your family, but you also feel like, hey, I can help my family. I've learned all this stuff. I can do this stuff for you and I can make your life better. And you're not really thinking about the fact that, yeah, you're going to leave and go back to your ship Mm-hmm. and right. what are they going to do? So I thought that that aspect of the story worked quite well for me. And also when it comes to Paul, while I don't ag- agree with sort of what's at the foundation of this, I do understand from Paul's perspective this feeling of having been, in a sense, abandoned by Travis especially now that their father is gone and the weight of of leading the family is on Paul's shoulders, mm-hmm. I can understand him feeling that way. What I right. don't like about it is the idea that is prevalent in, well, around the world and in certain cultures, it's more prevalent, or in certain family situations, it's more prevalent. This idea that you should not have grand visions for your life, that you should just stay where you are and just do what's required for a family. You should hold back your dreams and ambitions just because everyone else expects you to just play mm-hmm. this role. Yeah, And so many people in the world, they spend their lives in that situation where they don't achieve their potential because they have just let this expectation limit what they can do. And Travis broke out of that by deciding to go be part of Starfleet and and try to do something bigger. Not to say that what the people on the horizon and on cargo ships is doing isn't important, because obviously... It's a super important thing for the functioning of the overall society. Mm-hmm. But some individual, if everyone stayed in that situation, who would fill the other roles that are needed? Right. Well, you know, a couple of things. I think one, you know, with Paul and Travis, I think it, it, we can under, 
understand both of their perspectives, but I think the problem mm-hmm. is is that it's not binary. There's a middle way, um, which is that uh, these upgrades are good for the ship, and it's pretty easy for Travis to be able to teach them how to do whatever it is that he's doing so that moving forward, they have a better working ship and um, they can make sure that they can maintain it at that point, you know? And so I think that's one of the things that also happens and it, and it speaks exactly what you're talking about this idea again, that things are always binary and usually there is a middle way, right? Because, the other thing about this is, and, and Travis is on the forefront of this um, with uh, the cargo community, but life is going to change because of the fact that Enterprise is out there. And it is going to be important for many of them who are not going to be, those jobs are, you know, because progress, we know this, progress changes the way life works and what jobs are needed and what jobs are not. And I think one of the things we see here very much so is that that's going to be different. Uh, And so again, it's not necessarily a a binary choice. It's just, you're going to end up having to make a different choice in the end. And so I think that's, that's a really, um, this episode kind of helps us to be able to, think about some of those ideas not only in our world but of course you know the world there of star trek as things are changing so quickly well let's talk about the fun part of the story which is movie night and the various frankenstein movies that they're gonna watch i think this was a wonderful opportunity for them to return to the idea of movie night to grow to paul's character through this activity that they have on the ship because her her attitude about movie night is hilarious and she will do anything to get out of watching a movie. She'll try to get some kind of medical diagnosis from Flux that keeps her from being able to attend. And when that doesn't happen, she even suggests that they do a dramatic reading of Mary Shelley's original novel, rather than watching the movie. You know, I, I think <laughs> that the, the the interesting thing here is that, you know, T'Pol is doing a very classic Vulcan thing and a very human thing as well, which is to kind of judge something that they don't truly understand. Mm-hmm. And, and then try to say that what they think is better is better. And instead of doing the thing to which the Enterprise is actually here to do in the first place, which is to explore. Uh, to explore cinema. To explore it, the Paramount exactly. catalog. Exactly. <laughs> um, and so, you know, I, I do think that this is a wonderful, fun storyline for to Paul. Um, I think what's great here is we actually have a great, we have a wonderful performance by Jolene Blaylock, and she does such a good job of the the humorous moments with T'Pol mm-hmm. and the way that T'Pol can be funny without, you know, being overly dramatic about anything. But I also appreciate the really simple lesson here that by T'Pol actually placing herself in a position 
to try something that she doesn't think she's going to like and or get any value out of and then seeing the value of it is mm-hmm. wonderful. I, you know, especially because then she is going to use this as a way to help Vulcans who come to Earth to have a better understanding of human beings. And and again, mm-hmm. it's the beauty of film, it's the beauty of literature, is that these things help us become more empathetic because the best of them allow us to share an experience of being in somebody else's shoes mm-hmm. and then to get a better understanding of why they do what they do. And so I think that's that's the thing that I really like here the most is just, you know, it is a fun way of reminding to Paul that um, you can't say something's really stupid unless you've actually really tried it. And so um, it's... Um, it's a it's a great thing here. And and again, it connects with the other part of the story where we get Archer kind of bringing it to Paul into this, almost in this kind of like fatherly way of mm-hmm. like, you know, bribing the child. Okay, I'll we'll get some dinner and then we'll go to the movie. And if you don't like it, I'll never make you do it again. That's exactly what so many parents have said to their kids, you know, just take, I'll give you some candy. Exactly. (laughs) And then if you don't like it, um, you know, so it's, again, it's such a, it's such a great moment here to where we can, we can truly see. Yes. Jonathan Archer was the right captain for this crew. Mm -hmm. Um, But it also, uh, you're in this uh, one, I, I kind of like that this episode uh, builds the relationship between T'Pol and Trip more mm-hmm. because, you know, he invites her to movie night. He wants her to be there, you know, so we're kind of setting that stage, which is great. But it also kind of helps create that triumvirate and bring them closer as, you know, they're all at dinner talking about the movie afterwards and all. So, you know, it, it's a silly story that does a very good job of helping bring characters closer together and help them learn something Mm-hmm. that is lighter so that we're not doing two, you know, big, heavy storylines in one episode. Mm-hmm. Well, and the choice of Frankenstein as the movies that they're watching is perfect. And the dialogue is interesting because finally Tripp gets her to let them know what she thinks. And he asks her, what did you think of the story? And she said, I thought the protagonist was interesting. And of course, Tripp says, Dr. Frankenstein. And she rightly says, no, his creation. From my perspective, this was the story of an individual persecuted by humans because he was different, which is the story. That is Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. Now, the the movies may do different things, and there's this focus on the doctor and the creation of the monster. But, you know, the original story of Frankenstein is about how the monster is persecuted and cast aside because he's different. And so she as a Vulcan picks up exactly on that. And, and I love that aspect of this of Frankenstein being used as the movies that they're watching here on the ship. And also, as mm-hmm. you discussed earlier, how she's going to, she thinks that sharing this movie with, 
Saval and other Vulcans can help Vulcans as right. they become more comfortable living on Earth. And so, mm-hmm. again, I thought it was a very uh, adept choice for this for this particular episode. Well, and I think the, the the nice thing there, too, is that, and this is why people podcast, right, about media and that kind of story and stories, mm-hmm. is because different perspectives help us see different parts of the story in ways that we might not have seen without somebody bringing that up because they are a person who's looking at a story and then in, having an interpretation on it. And, you know, so the, the beauty of it is, is that, you know, Mary Shelley – uh, has the ability and any author has a reason for writing a story, right? And you will be able to find that reading and anything that anybody creates. So there is going to be an interpretation that sticks closer to that original author authorial intent. And what's interesting is that I think to Paul actually picks that up through the film mm-hmm. where, you know, Trip. Maybe a guy who watches more movies than reads books mm-hmm. misses it. And so I, I think that that's something really beautiful in that. Yeah. And to Paul gets to say what so many people have wanted to say when they're at the movie theater. We can stop the film if it's disturbing your conversation. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> yes. A hundred percent. Yeah. I'm sorry. Did you need us to turn the lights up so you can text better? Uh, yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. So. Right. All right. Well, to wrap up here, uh, I just wanted to mention, we've already talked about the book that's in Travis's quarters and the connection to a piece of the action, but there are a couple of other things in his quarters that are interesting in terms of continuity. There's a model of the Phoenix, which to me makes sense, particularly Mm -hmm. for Enterprise as a prequel series, but also the model of the Sea Witch ship that Henry Janeway has next to the register in his bookshop in 1159. The Voyager episode where Janeway mm. goes back nice. into yeah. the past. I love that episode. Uh, that Sea Witch model is also in Travis's quarters. So I don't know if his great-grandfather bought it from Janeway's bookshop and has been passing it through the family or what. But uh, I'm just racking my brain trying to get an in-universe explanation for an obvious case of using whatever we have lying around to dress <laughs> up a set, which, as we all know, is how the original series episode, The Squire of Gothos, came about, where it's just, let's just pull out everything we've got in storage and decorate a house and then tell a story there. Well, you know, I mean, Travis's mom is drinking out of Janeway's coffee mug, so I'm just saying. <laughs> oh, now there's a, so something is going on here with the Janeway mm-hmm. family. Yep, and just the saying. Mayweathers. <laughs> uh, they also used those coffee mugs when they went camping in the first season. So, uh, you know, uh, apparently Janeway just likes uh, her coffee mugs to be vintage, and so mm, I guess so. All right, all right. Well, any final thoughts and what's your rating on this one? Yeah, I think, you know, rewatching this episode, it it might be interesting to hear from me that it's actually a a really good episode. And I I think for all the reasons that we talked about it, you know, this is a character who deserved to to be able to have these type of stories told and, and even just had more spotlight. And I think it's a good story to be telling in the sense that, uh, you know, as we talked about just kind of the history of where they are and that this is a way of life that's going to be changing because of what's happening on Enterprise. And so to be able to see it before it does change forever is a is an important part of the Star Trek history. And, you know, I love that, that Enterprise 
was willing to give us a little bit of these tastes of life outside of just being on the warp five starship every once in a while. And in, in some ways, you know, it kind of harkens back to the idea that they thought season one might be on earth the whole time. Um, you know, mm-hmm. so, um, which in, in all honesty, I think would have been an incredibly awesome story idea. Um, mm-hmm. but that's a whole other podcast. So yeah, I'm going to give this one four out of five Chicago mob books, because I think that, it's it's actually doing some really interesting things, and I was surprised rewatching it how much I was enjoying the episode. Great, yeah. My final thoughts are that there's an observation that I made in rewatching it again for this discussion that I didn't mention as we were talking about it today, and that is that it's a rather slow episode. I feel compared certainly with modern Star Trek and how stories are told. And sometimes I think fans look at Enterprise stories and do feel like they're a bit slow. And this one did feel that way to me as I was watching it. But I think that if you can, if you feel that way and you can put that aside and then look at all the things that are being presented and all the elements that are here, both what it does in terms of the family commentary that we've been discussing and what it does for elements of Enterprise that are going to be coming up in season three and season four uh, between the characters. And then, you know, the little connections to past Star Trek on screen. Mm-hmm. There's a lot yeah. of good stuff going on here. So I'm going to give it seven membership cards to Topol's book club. Nice. <laughs> All right, everyone, we would love to hear your thoughts on Horizon. There are many ways for you to share those with us. Perhaps the best way is to go to Facebook and join the Babel Conference. That is our listeners group. It's there to extend the conversation beyond the podcasts. It is a closed group. So if you're joining for the first time, please do answer the questions and agree to the rules of the forum so that I can let you in. You'll find a post for this episode of Warp 5 there on the timeline, and you can share your comments with Matthew and me and fellow listeners right there. And to find it, just type Babel, B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook. If it doesn't come right up, just type the whole name, The Babel Conference. If you'd like to send us email, go to our website, trek.fm slash contact. Use the form you find there. Choose to send to a show and choose Warp 5, and that will come over to Matthew and me by email. And of course, you can find us in social media. Our username everywhere is TrekFM. And if your podcast app of choice allows you to leave a rating and a review, we'd love to get that from you as well. And thank you to everyone who has rated us and reviewed us so far. Now, Matthew, when you're not turning off the grav plating and jumping on the bed, where can people find you? Well, I got to watch my head when I do that, but you can find me all over social media under the name Matt Rushing 2 Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, and Vero are the places I am most active. Uh, you can also find me, of course, here on the network with the 602 Club. As we talk about all of those fandoms outside of Star Trek that we love, uh, you can also find me doing literary treks about the books and the comics of Star Trek, The Orb about Star Trek Deep Space Nine. With you, Chris, as we are discussing the 30th anniversary rewatch of that show, we've got Saddle Up. <laughs> about Strange New World, and, of course, The Artificial Tango, as we're dancing our way through Star Trek Picard Season 3 together. And then you can find me over on the Nerd Party Network with two shows. One is called Owl Post, 
talking about the entire Harry Potter series, one chapter at a time, and then aggressive negotiations with John Mills as we talk about Star Wars. But, you know, Chris, when you're not trying to find your way from one cargo pod to the next, where can people find you? Well, you can find me here on the network, as you mentioned, doing all those shows with you. Also, Larry Nemechek and I do the Ready Room from time to time, and you can find me in many shows in the back catalog, many episodes of many shows. And I can also be found in social media. My username is C, Brian Jones, letter C, and Brian with a Y. I'd love to chat with you there. Twitter's where I'm most active. You can also find me on Mastodon, also C, Brian Jones, on the Trekkie.social instance. And yeah, let's just chat about Star Trek. Now, if you'd like to help us keep this show and everything that we're doing here on the network going, we could definitely use your help to find out how to get involved. Just visit patreon.com slash trekfm. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm. And we'd like to send a huge thank you to everyone who is supporting us right now. We really would not be here without your help. So thank you so very much. Well, Matthew, I'm looking forward to next time when we welcome another Denobulan on board. Chris, I can't wait. So let's go. 